Welcome to the Live from the Code Bar podcast, recorded from the Code Theme Bar of Fenwood Manor. I am your guide on this adventure, Rob. I want to interrupt this regularly scheduled show today. Originally, I was going to talk to you about the yet unsolved armchair treasure hunt, the Whistle Pig, and I still will on the next show, so stay tuned for that. However, I want to take this show and this time today to instead talk to you about a new amazing treasure hunt that was just released called The Letters of St. Germain by Lisa Finch. Before we get into that, though, I want to again start off with some housekeeping. As usual, I want to give a great big thank you out, thank you, to everyone of you that have already downloaded and listened to the first three shows. The podcast is already at almost 350 downloads as of the recording of this show, which is totally amazing. I didn't think anybody would listen, and to have that many downloads already is awesome. I also want to give a great big thank you and shout out to Nick Spira, Robert Brewer, and Stephen Jenner, who each created the music, the art, and helped edit the show. I also want to take the time to give some shout outs to some other like-minded podcasters and YouTubers, all of which you should all give a listen to and watch. I, I certainly do. First of all, there's Deidre Industrial Dustin White, who are the fellow treasure hunters and hosts of Could It Be an Oak Island podcast. They are some amazing people. They do hold weekly Facebook meets with trivia and other information to go along with their podcast, as well as that show, uh, The Hunt for Oak Island. Then there is the amazing team of Aubrey and Emily, who host The National Treasure Hunt. It's a podcast that breaks down the National Treasure film franchise. And just to give you some extra information, stay tuned because we do, I will have some amazing information at some point about an awesome code and cipher themed crossover between the two of us coming very soon. Hopefully we're in the process of organizing that now. So thank you, Emily and Aubrey. Uh, I do want to give a great big thank you to George Ward and the gang over at the Shh, the Secret Podcast Group. Uh, they have an awesome podcast all about the secret, Byron Price's The Secret. They broke down that treasure hunt. They break down the, the different cities. They have a lot of useful and helpful Facebook groups uh, focusing on breaking the puzzle for each individual city. And then finally, there is Cal Lazar's YouTube channel. Uh, this is a big one. Uh, they do focus a lot on the Forest Fan Treasure, but they do focus a lot on treasures in general. Uh, they have a lot of amazing Facebook groups as well. Uh, really keep the conversation going, including their uh, Great Adventure Facebook group, as well as their Treasure Hunt Amusement Park. Uh, all of this information, I will make sure that there are links in the show notes for everybody if you do want to join any of those groups. Now, on with the show. Several years ago, construction workers in Georgia discovered a forgotten attic room in an old plantation house somewhere in the south of Athens. The secret space contained a Captain a Carpathian trunk, dusty and unopened for many, many years. Inside was a set of papers, deeply faded and yet still decipherable, and reference to a strange horn embedded with crystals that is of great power and significance to servants of alchemy. The papers were a set of curious verses and pictograms, together with journal entries and letters that span many lifetimes. The identity of the author would remain unknown if it were not for a small painted portrait that accompanied them and his initials on each piece of paper. A set of brief instructions were also present, detailing the why, but not the where. To protect the documents from the wrath of time, the researchers scanned the originals and created eternal digital copies. Researchers identified the subject of the fine enamel portrait as the mysterious Comete de Saint-Germain, magician, time traveler, alchemist. Rumors persist that Saint-Germain had discovered the elixir of eternal life 
and they could live unnoticed, hidden in the shadows of our world, as the centuries passed. His verses and memories can now be your journey, if you are worthy. Follow the Count's instructions and travel well. This is a little introduction that is on the uh, first page of Lisa Finch's uh, amazing website that accompanies the book, uh, Letters of St. Germain. This is an armchair treasure hunt uh, that I've absolutely fallen in love with, so I wanted to make sure I did a whole show on it. Basically, uh, it is a set of uh, diary entries, like we've mentioned, uh, pictures, verses. Uh, you put them all together, and they will eventually give you some information that you need to find a second uh, location. The book, The Letters of the Saint Germain, is, as I said, an armchair treasure hunt by puzzle extraordinaire Lisa Finch. It is also va- it's available on Kindle or as a PDF from their website for $7.99 and, kiss- and consists of an overarching story and, as I said, a series of letters, nine verses and images. Each of the verse-image pairings can be solved fully armchair and will guide you to a certain location, a building, a landmark, something like that, which are all within the continental United States which means that you do not personally have to go anywhere to visit any of these locations. Though, if you're close by, you might want to take a trip because they do seem like some pretty awesome places. Once you've found all nine, use the contact form on the website, www.lettersofstgermain.com, giving your answers, and a final clue will then be provided that you will need to solve, and that will then take you to a hidden proxy, which will require you to go boots on the ground to find and win. As I like to do for a lot of these hunts, as I talked about with Masquerade and what I did with Moscow, uh, I want to share a little bit more about the Count of St. Germain. Uh, I do not know how much of use it will be to you in the puzzle, um, but it's very interesting. And once again, Wikipedia is our friend here. So here we go. The Comité de St. Germain was a European adventurer with an interest in science, alchemy, and the arts. He achieved prominence in the European high society of the mid-1700s, Prince Charles of Hesse-Cassel considered him to be one of the greatest philosophers who ever lived. Saint Germain used a variety of names and titles and accepted practice amongst royalty and nobility at the time. These included the Marquis du Montferrat, Comité Bellomar, Chevalier Schuening, Count Wilden, Comité Solkethoff, Graf Zarog, and Prince Ragzi. Now, I probably butchered them, so I apologize. And in order to deflect inquiries as to his origins, he would make far-fetched claims such as being 500 years old, leading Voltaire to to sarcastically dub him the Wonder Man, and that he is a man who does not die and who knows everything. Now his real name is unknown, while his birth and background are obscure, but towards the end of his life, he claimed that he was the son of Prince Francis II Razogi of Transylvania. His name has occasionally caused him to be confused with Claude Louis, Comité de Saint-Germain, a noted French general. Here's a little bit more background about the the Count. The Count claimed to be the son, as I said, of Francis II, the Prince of Transylvania, which could possibly be unfounded. However, this would account for his wealth and fine education. The will of Francis II mentioned his eldest son, Leopold George, who was believed to have died at the age of four. The speculation is that his identity was safeguarded as a protective measure from persecutions against the Habsburg dynasty. At the time of his arrival in uh, Schleswig in 1779, St. Germain told Prince Charles of Hesse-Cassel that he was 88 years old. This would place his birth in 1691 when Francis II was only 15 years old. 
Saint Germain was supposedly educated in Italy by the last of the Medicis, uh, Gian Gaston, his alleged mother's brother-in-law. He was believed to be a student of the University of Siena. Throughout his adult life, he deliberately spun a confusing web to conceal his actual name and origins using different pseudonyms in the different places of Europe that he visited. The Marquis de Curoy declared that Saint Germain was an Alsatian, Jew, Simon Wolf by the name, and was born at Strasbourg, about the close of the 17th or at the beginning of the 18th century. Others insist that he was a Spanish Jesuit named Amr, and others again intimidate that his true title was the Marquis de Betmar, and that he was a native of Portugal. The most plausible theory, however, makes him the natural son of an Italian princess and fixes his birth at San Germano in Savoy about the year 1710, his father being one Rotondo, a tax collector of that district. Now, he appears to have begun to be known under the title of the Count of St. Germain during the early 1740s. Now, in England, according to David Hunter, the Count contributed to some of the songs uh, Lil Constanza de Lusa, an opera performed at the Haymarket Theatre in London on all but one of the Saturdays from February 9 to 20 of April 1745. Later, in a letter of December of that same year, Horace Walpole mentions the King of Saint, Count of St. Germain as being arrested in London on suspicion of espionage. This was during the Jacobite Rebellion of 1745, but was released without charge. Here's what they had to say. The other day they seized an old man who goes by the name of Count St. Germain. He has been here these two years and will not tell who he is or whence, but professes, two wonderful things, the first that he does not go by his right name, and the second, that he has never had any dealings with any woman, nay, nor with any succedium. He sings, plays on the violin wonderfully, composes, is mad, and not very sensible. He is called an Italian, a Spaniard, a Pole, a somebody that married a great fortune in Mexico, and ran away with her jewels to Constantinople. A priest, a fiddler, a vast nobleman, the Prince of Wales has had unstatiated curiosity about him, but in vain. However, nothing has been made out of a, made out against him. He is released. And what convinces me that he is not a gentleman stays here and talks of his being taken up for a spy. The Count gave two private musical performances in London in April and May of 1749. On one such occasion, Lady Jemima York described how she was very entertained by him or at him the whole time. I mean, the oddness of his manner, which it is impossible not to laugh at. Otherwise, you know he is very sensible and well-bred in conversation. She continued, He is an odd creature, and the more I see him, the more curious I am to know something about him. He is everything with everybody. He talks ingeniously with Mr. Ray, philosophy with Mr. Lord Willoughby, and is gallant with Miss York, Miss Carpenter, and all the young ladies. But the character and philosopher is what he seems to pretend to be and to be good at the deal of concealing it. The others are put on to comply with Les Manias du Monde, but that you are to suppose his real characteristic, and I can't but fancy he is a great pretender in all kinds of science, as well as that he has acquired an uncommon share in some. So basically, uh, when he's in England, he tried to fool a lot of people. Uh, a lot of bad people, or a lot of good people, had a lot to say about him. But let's move on to what he was said about him in France. Saint-Germain appeared in the French court around 1748. 
1749, he was employed by Louis XV for diplomatic missions. A mime and English comedian known as Milord Gawa impersonated Saint-Germain in the Paris salons. His stories were wilder than the real counts. He had advised Jesus, for example. He inevitably, hearsay of his routine got confused with the original. Giamo Casanova describes in his memoirs several meetings with the celebrated and learned imposter. Of his first meeting in Paris in 1757, he writes, The most enjoyable dinner I had was with Madame de Robert Gergi, who came with the famous adventurer known by the name of the Count de Saint-Germain. This individual, instead of eating, talked from the beginning of the meal to the end, and I followed his example in one respect as I did not eat but listened to him with the greatest attention. It may safely be said that as a conversationalist, he was unequaled. Saint-Germain gave him, himself out for a marvel and always aimed at exciting amazement, which he often succeeded in doing. He was scholar. He was a scholar, a linguist, a magician, and a chemist, good-looking and a perfect ladies' man. For a while, he gave them paints and cosmetics. He flattered them, not that he would make them young again, which he modestly confessed was beyond him, but that their beauty would be preserved by means of a wash which he said cost him a lot of money, but which he gave away freely. He had contrived to gain the favour of Madame de Pompadour, who had spoken about him to the king, for whom he had made a laboratory, in which the monarch, Amada to boredom, tried to find a little pleasure or distraction, at all events by making dyes, the king had given him a suite of rooms at Chambord and a hundred thousand francs for the construction of a laboratory, and according to Saint-Germain, the dyes discovered by the king would have a materially beneficial influence and on the quality of French fabrics. He continues to go on. This extraordinary man, intended by nature to be the king of impostors and quacks, would say in an easy, assured manner that he was three hundred years old and that he knew the secret of the universal medicine and that he possessed a mastery over nature, and that he could meld diamonds, professing himself capable of forming out of ten or twelve small diamonds, one large one of the finest without loss of weight. All this, he said, was a mere trifle to him, notwithstanding his boastings, his barefaced lies, and his manifold eccentricities, I cannot say I thought him offensive. In spite of my knowledge of what he was and in spite of my own feelings, I thought him an astonishing man, as he was always astounding me. Uh, it goes on and on and on. It talks about his uh, time in in uh, in the Netherlands. Uh, there's lots of uh, different uh, accounts of the Count of Saint-Germain. Um, if you do want to learn a little bit more about him, there are also a lot of different podcasts on the Count of Saint-Germain as well, like the three-part Astonishing Legend series, the Stuff You Missed in History Class, All Rather Mysterious, History of Alchemy, and the History Goes Bump podcast, which I will include links to all in the show notes. Now, I have been in contact with Lisa, and uh, I just want you to know I did get permission. So in order to go a little bit further on the actual hunt and treasure hunt with you, uh, I have been given permission to share a couple of the letters, poems, and pictures to give you an idea of what to expect. So the first one I'm going to give you is from Chapter 5 starts with a letter, uh, supposedly from St. Germain. Dear Arthur, I have to say, I was a little disturbed by your last letter. What is this leather apron that you speak of, stained with blood? What have you been up to, dear boy? And who exactly is Watson? 
How is your wife? Is she still visiting those people who speak with the dead? I find that quite troubling, if I'm to be honest. The thought of death and its finality fills me with the sheerest of dread. I hope never to experience it or talk to your wife in that manner. Life here in the promised land is wonderful. My new abode reminds me of Italy. In fact, I fill it with arias from my new gramophone each day. The birds love Madame Butterfly. My personal favorite is the opera by Shmagilia. Such beauty in sound. I stand each day and feel the fresh air against my milky skin. I have a wonderful view from the Magistrum. It is truly elementary. I'm pretty sure you can know what he's talking about on that one, just from a couple of those words. But then we go into the verse. So again, this is verse number five. The first line is, A lady and a national met in waters wide. In the early morning, bystanders sobbed and cried. And that is how it came to be by landing and a beach. LOL, next to it, a playground you will reach. Deep in the darkness, peering, long did I stand there. I smelled the sweetest flowers, and then I climbed the stairs. Now, not no, day and night, fat and thin, quite a sight. See the body, red and cream, 13 north, a climber's dream. So to go along with uh, the verse on number five, there is also the image. Uh, obviously, it's going to be in the book. Uh, I'm not going to be able to share it, uh, but I want to just give you an overall of what it looks like. This image is a framed black and white picture of what looks to be a soldier in uh, his dress uniform. On top of the frame is the number seven. On the left of the frame is the number 22 inside of a circle. On the right are the letters capital C, lowercase u, underlined, and the number second, that's 2ND. And on the bottom is the number four. So put all of those things together, the verse, the letter, and then obviously the image, and it should point you out to a location that you need to try and find. Now, I'm going to tell you all a little secret. I think I know the answer to this one. Uh, and if you use all the information that I just shared with you, I'm pretty sure I think you will too. Uh, I do have to say, though, that this hunt is definitely my jam. The verses are so well written with tough but solvable clues, and pair them with the images, which obviously make it uh, that much easier sometimes to find certain ones and that much harder to find other ones. It's, it's very well and professionally done. Now, when you put it all together and solve the verse, the, the feeling that you get when you solve it is just amazing. Uh, obviously, I've, uh, I started this Treasure Hunt podcast because I've solved a couple myself and I'm involved in others. Uh, just being able to be that, having solved something, it just really gives you that, that juice. It just gives you at least for me anyway. Um, so I'm going to definitely recommend all of you go out and get the letters of St. Germain. Obviously it's available on Amazon, uh, for the Kindle version. You can get the PDF version directly from their website, uh, 799. I got both, uh, join the Facebook group. Uh, they do a lot of talking there about the, the hunt. Uh, people are sharing all their type information. And if you do want to, you can also join the conversation at the Live at the Cobar Facebook group. I just started it not too long ago. There's not going a lot, not a lot going on just now on that, uh, but definitely uh, feel free to jump on there as well. Uh, we would love to have you as well. All right, everybody. So what I want to do right now is I want to share with you a very special Code Bar cocktail. And the reason that's very special is because this was developed specifically for this podcast by the writer of Letters of St. Germain, Lisa Finch. She did it just for us and just for you. It's called St. Germain's Rouge Corpse Reviver, guaranteed to bring your soul back from the living dead. This devilishly deathly drink is a deliciously dirty red. Take mother's ruin, an ounce of gin, 
and two ounces of cherry mariner, sin. Add murderous absinthe if you dare, but just an eighth of a teaspoon. Take great care. A dash of lemon juice, juice will cut the sweet, then add some ice to remove the heat. Shake till the blood runs dirty pink, and then it's time to sink your drink. Thanks, Lisa, for that. I can't wait to give that one a try. I'm going to have pictures, and obviously there's a little bit of a, uh, an image that goes with it and everything like that, so I'm going to share that on all of our socials as well. Uh, maybe later on in the week we might have a Pub Grub review coming up, so I've got some uh, stories to talk about with on that one as well. All right, uh, But uh, we've come to the end now of this show. Uh, for all the information that didn't make it into the podcast, as well as all the links that I mentioned, please do visit the show notes, and please don't forget to like us on both Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all with the handle at CodeBarLive. Please subscribe to the show whenever you, wherever you get your podcast, and help the podcast grow by leaving a rating and review, especially on the big one, Apple Podcasts, for me. I'll be back in two weeks with the original show idea of Duck Miller's Whistlepig, so stay tuned. And until next time, everyone, keep digging.